when I met Jack, he was a 77-year-old exemplary prisoner who'd been languishing behind bars for 20 years and counting. Because he had refused to play ball with prosecutors, Jack told me how his constitutional rights were compromised. He told me about government wrongdoing in the courtroom that really made my stomach turn. I was sickened. I know little about law, yet somewhere deep inside me, I knew Jack was not supposed to still be in prison, that his life sentence was a mistake that could be rectified and was past time to do so. Now, honestly, I don't know how I could know this, but I did. I began doing the background research for Jack's biography, and this was a major turning point because it would ultimately lead to the revelation that would change everything. It forced me to reach into the farthest depths of my soul to muster the courage to speak up for the man really most everyone had forgotten. You know, courage I didn't even know I had and swear I don't think I could have summoned it for myself. I know I couldn't have, but for Jack, somehow I found the inner strength and what I had to do, it scared me. <laughs> it scared me to death because it pushed me way out of my comfort zone. It's hard to explain why I pushed myself to help him. You know, it was just the strangest thing. I never judged Jack. I never questioned his crimes. Please know, I did not condone them. I just didn't judge. You know, frankly, had it been anyone else, I don't know if I could say that. He was a nonviolent offender, a self-proclaimed pacifist, a caring, tender soul who in no way resembled the cold-hearted bad boy convicts are often portrayed to be. I must say that in addition to my driving need to take action on Jack's behalf, I felt a piercing, unaccountable sadness, a heavy precognitive grief surrounding the yet unseen events that were to unfold around Jack's final life adventure and my joining him on this path. My foresight of this morning defied reason. Intuitively and emotionally, we often understand more than we can intellectually realize. This angst would be buoyed by the stimulation of Jack sharing his spiritual and soulful saga that mesmerized me like no other. After an ill-advised escape attempt while awaiting his second trial, Jack would eventually settle into prison life and become a model inmate. Here's a quote from Jack's memoirs in Buccaneer. My salvation lies in my spiritual, philosophical, and homesteading studies, the joy of my creative endeavors, painting and writing, eating and sleeping, and most of all, the hope of eventual freedom. I rely heavily on my intuition. It keeps reassuring me that as long as I have faith in my freedom and happiness, I will attain those goals. So far, my intuition has had an excellent track record, and I do have the faith. Jack's closest friend at MCI, was a fellow inmate named Aaron Sharp. He spoke to May Kay about the Jack Reed he befriended in prison. Side note, this is the part of our story where it's impossible to look at the events that transpired as anything other than fate or karma. The universe was working to bring our heroine, May Kay, together with Jack Carlton Reed. Tell me about Jack in prison. What did, the, what did the inmates think about him? He was a good friend of yours. Were you, what did you think about his background, his criminal background, and, and did he evolve into a spiritual person? What was Jack like? He was, uh, and he wasn't a criminal, really. I mean, he was, really the, the, Running the coke was just a, it's a cargo for him. You know, he wasn't a criminally minded person. And 
I don't think the spiritual aspect of it really evolved for him until he got to prison and had some time to really cogitate on things. But initially, when you saw him on the yard, he was real aloof. He didn't make a lot of contact. He was the he was the uh, cantankerous old curmudgeon, really prototypical. You know, like people approaching him, asking him questions, and he had he had droves of youngsters that'd be like, "Oh, are you the guy? Are you the pilot?" He's like, "Get away, beat it." He's not trying to what try to talk about it, but, you know. But once you got to know him, then he'd open up and, and get expansive. But you had to earn his trust, and it took it took me a couple of years. Really. So tell me, Aaron, what did did you learn anything from him? I mean, I know he was metaphysical. You guys studied together. What did you learn from Jack? I learned ultimately that that when you go to prison, as as good as he was to people, and as 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 epic a, a story as he led, right? You go to jail. You get you once you get in the cage, you're slowly forgotten about. I mean, and the thing is, is you're going to have, when it's all said and done, you're going to have two or three people in your corner that you can still count on, and you're going to see who's in your corner, black and white. It's going to be, you're going to have plenty. You're going to be able to count them on one hand and have fingers left over. That's just the way it is. And those people are special. I mean, they're loyal, and they're, it's it's undying. And they they are a rare, rare breed. And the spiritual aspect of, of, if you do good to people or good things and you do bad, Either way, it's coming back. It's coming back around. Promise you. It doesn't matter if you do bad. No one ever finds out about it. It's still coming back to bite you in the ass. Promise you that. It's coming. Wow. Tell me about the manifestation that he manifested his freedom. Tell me about that. Tell you about what now? About him being able to manifest his freedom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, is, is... you know, we were based on like the law of attraction, uh, which is a later version of what he'd already been studying, which is the Seth material about how we're the micro as God is the macro. Right? We can still manifest according to his will. But if you, if you focus, I mean, just you can call it whatever you like, prayer, spell work, uh, meditation. Uh, it's a matter of focus and, and quantum physics, really. I mean, you put enough thought and focus into, into a subject or a thing, it's going to manifest on physical reality. Good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. And him focusing so intently on his freedom, I mean, and you can never count on how it's going to happen. You, you're at the point A. You're bo- you have to focus on point C. The B is not your, is not your realm. It's going to happen however it's going to happen. Like you, when he manifested his freedom, it was a letter from you out of the blue. It was a pile of letters under his bunk, right? And yours was a letter on top had an upside down stamp and uh it caught my eye i was looking at it going through his stuff and he's like i was like look at that one that's the sign of the stress jack you need to go ahead and, and look at that one so he looked at it next thing you know you guys kick it off fantastically and it ends up in his freedom not long after him getting released from prison with two life senses are you kidding me you know what the odds are of that are yeah. you coming out of nowhere out of the blue and making that happen come on man all right one last question aaron before it times out did he have any regrets? Yeah. Yeah, he, he regretted that he he didn't live an interesting life up at that point, but he regretted that it had gotten so sideways that they ended up giving him two lives for it. I mean, it didn't deserve that kind of time. Had he done seven or eight years, that'd be fair, right? Yeah. And the thing is what made him a little bit bitter 
is at the end, they were starting to change their stance on, on coke and turn their venom towards towards uh, heroin and methamphetamine. So the people that were coming behind them that had the same type of, type of coke charges were getting way, way less. The thing is, they, they hyped it up to the point where they had to bury him and Carlos. After close to a year operating as Jack Reed's biographer, May Kay had come to a couple of very important realizations. The first was that Jack had absolutely no business spending the rest of his life behind bars as a nonviolent criminal. And the second was a matter of the heart. May Kay, through the course of their relationship, had fallen in love with Jack Reed, as she writes in Buccaneer. I eventually was able to see beyond the aging physical shell and recognize the eternal beauty beneath. There was an undeniable respect for and attraction to his spiritual essence, a knowing, a familiar safe haven, a distant connection that I couldn't put my finger on. This was no longer about finishing her book. She was on a mission to see that Jack Carlton Reed was released from prison. But where do you even begin? Believe it or not, it was one of the men who prosecuted Jack that helped Mayke get the ball rolling. Somewhere along the line, he kept talking about his freedom and how he tried so hard for his freedom, and pretty much everyone had forgotten about him. He was estranged from his family. Um, he had left his daughters and, you know, done great injustice to his family, running off. Uh, one sister had passed away. The other sister, Fern, stood by his side all the time, close to her. There were people that came and went in his life, but really nobody was there for him at the end. And trying to figure out how he was going to gain his freedom, he tried different ways. and. I don't know why I thought I could help him. I don't know anything about the law. But I thought, well, one day I finally asked him, you know, how bad do you want your freedom? I mean, do you really want this? Or is he just some old man talking from prison, right. delusional, right? No, no, he, he really wanted it. And I knew somewhere in my heart that this was wrong. He shouldn't still be incarcerated. So when he told me that, then I went into a different mode and really started, okay, all right, let, how are we going to do this? And he said, well, what I really need is um, is somebody, a lawyer that was like bulldog, Robert Merkel, who was the U.S. Attorney General, who was just a prosecutor that went after him and even fabricated things. But, mm -hmm. you know, he and Carlos later were guilty. Um, and he thought, I need somebody that's got balls like that. And so I looked into it, and well, Robert Merkel had passed. Bulldog, they called him. He had died. The assistant um, district attorney, Ernst Mueller, was still around in private practice, though. I reached out to him for pictures for the biography. I needed to get pictures. And when I reached out to him, he was shocked that Jack was still in jail. He goes, what? He's still in jail? I go, yeah, he's got a life sentence. And he was shocked. He thought for some reason he would have gotten out years ago. And I said, can you help us, sir? He said, yes, I will help you. And that was the turning point, and it's because of Ernst Mueller, and he's passed, God bless you, sir, wherever you are, that this was able to happen. He, he got things rolling for us. Good things were happening, in large part because of May Kay's dogged determination and Mr. Mueller's direction in putting the legal steps necessary in motion. Jack was assigned a public defender, and things began moving forward, but at a snail's pace. Meanwhile, May Kay and Jack had decided it was finally time for the two of them to meet in person. Their entire relationship had been through letters and phone calls up to this point. They'd even begun planning a life together after Jack's release. And while May Kay chooses to keep those plans to herself, 
She did say that it involved a lot of travel. But then suddenly, Maykay received terrible news. I'll let her explain. We wanted to get to know each other first before I could go see him. He was in Memphis. I was in North Carolina. We talked about it. Um, but then, unfortunately, we had a health crisis. Uh, Jack had had a spot on his back, and he had known about it for a while, but Jack was a man of faith, not religion. He believed in a higher power, but um, he wasn't a religious person. He could never understand that, but very strong faith that he could heal himself uh, and manifest things. Mr. Wright, who was his BOP counselor, saw it and said, Mr. Reed, Mr. Reed, we need to get you to the hospital. We need you to look at this. Well, turns out to be cancer. So now he is, you know, stolen away into the night, leaves the, um, the prison, goes to a hospital. Can't be in touch with anybody because there's deep, heavy security around him. Because, right. well, look at his past. But he was a nonviolent offender, for yeah. God's sake. <laughs> Exemplary prisoner, an elderly man, 77, for heaven's sakes. But because he was associated with the cartel, he had to be shackled to the hospital bed with security guards. Nobody could know where he was. At that time, the only person he was in contact with was me and his sister, elderly sister in California. He and I heard from each other every other day, either through letters or phone calls. So now, boom, there's nothing. I'm not hearing from him. Nothing is going on. He told a friend of his, Aaron, you need to look out for AK, contact her, let her know what's going on. But it took a while before he could get through to me. I was still writing letters to Jack, and his um, counselor was able to deliver them to him in the hospital, which was beautiful because he went through a very dark time. But I still don't know what's going on. So in other words, long story short, I can't see him at this point. We had planned to visit each other in Memphis. He's in the hospital now yeah. at an undisclosed location. So months go by and finally he comes back to FCI Memphis and you know we're able to talk again and correspond again, but things aren't good with him health-wise. Meanwhile, I'm now I'm really pushing to get him freed. And we are assigned a public defender because he's indigent, he has no money, he gave all his money to his girlfriend, and um, we're trying to get the ball rolling with this. Well, now, getting his freedom set in motion takes on a whole new meaning because he has a terminal condition. And now I'm told he has maybe five months to live. But mm, mm, no, it's going to happen much sooner. I have goosebumps. Okay. So I still can't see him because he's weak. He's undergoing blood transfusions. He said he looked like a raggedy end doll because when they took the cancer off, they did skin grafts for oh. the parts of his body and then radiation. And, you know, he's 78 years old now. And now things get really bad. He goes back into the hospital. Oh, dear God. So much is going on. Our public defender is a lovely man, however. I don't think anybody really cared. As the cancer progressed and Jack's condition deteriorated, he was moved to Butner Medical Facility in Maykay's home state of North Carolina. Not to sound like a broken record, but it seems fate intervened once again. It was at Butner where Maykay finally was able to visit the man she'd fallen in love with, so my first visit with Jack was at Butner before he went really downhill physically. Yeah. He was in a wheelchair. And that's when I met him. And, you know, he had lost a lot of weight. And, 
you know, he wasn't looking his best, but I didn't care about that. Right. I I was attracted to the man inside the soul. I wasn't attracted to some infamous old pirate. And then the next time I went to see him, which was just like the next day, and it's like moving mountains to, to be able to go see him. Now he can't come to the visiting room in a wheelchair. Now he's in a hospital bed and he can't, he can't even get out of the bed. The clock was ticking. There was no time to waste. Any thoughts of a life together following his release were gone. This was now solely a mission to make sure Jack Reed took his last breath as a free man, not an inmate. We've used the phrase spunk and gumption to describe May Kay throughout this podcast, but think about it. This was one woman taking on the mighty United States government, and she refused to take no for an answer. Somehow, in some way, she was going to see this through until the end. Jack was eventually moved to Butner Medical Facility in North Carolina, of all places, very close to me. Um, and I was told by folks there that, oh, Mr. Reed, well, you know, he has a life prison. He, he's meant to die. He has a life sentence. He's wow. meant to die. Well, well, no, we're changing that. He's going to be freed any day now. Everything was put in motion, and I knew he was going to be freed. Oh, well, they'd better hurry up. I remember they told me that. They go, well, they better hurry up. It's like they knew more than I did. Um, and by now, you know, I had encouraged Jack to reunite with his daughters. They had had an estranged relationship, and they did, and that was a blessing. And they come from California, hoping to be able to take him home, you know, and make a life for him. They knew he was gonna be set free at some point. But there were folks in the um, judicial system that were dragging their feet, and they had to have a prosecutor, you know, also. And we had our public defender. And, and they didn't want to let him go. Really? And I wrote a letter to the head of the Bureau of Prisons. I think it was Harvey at, at the time, trying to remember. Um, and, and he denied us, the head of the Bureau of Prisons. And I thought, F this. Who that? What the heck? I respect our government. I'm respect, respectful, but I, I wrote letters. I wrote a letter to the judge several times that, that are in the book. Um, you know, this man is ailing. He has paid his dues. He is not dangerous. Even Ernst Mueller said that. Please let him let him live the, the last days of his life in freedom. And, and the prosecutor, believe it or not, was married to a DEA agent. And I'm screaming, you know, to our public defender. And, and one day, as Jack is just going down, 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 fading fast, he says to me, Maykay, I'm sorry to tell you this. And then somebody else who is responsible for his freedom for the paperwork's on vacation. He won't be back for 10 days. We didn't have 10 days. He's going to die. Any day now, he's going to die. I couldn't get anybody to move, and I, I don't know how I summoned up the power. I don't think I could have done it for myself. I, I don't. But I just screamed bloody murder, and and our public defender said, Make him sorry, but no one's going to do it. It's not going to happen. You've got to make it happen. Yeah. You tell you're going to make it happen. And it happened. It happened. Make a through sheer force of will with an assist from Ernst Muller and the public defender assigned to Jack's case had done it. Jack would soon be a free man, but would he live to see it? They planned for Jack to take a train back to his home state of California with his daughters, but his deteriorating condition made that impossible. Mekay walks us through those agonizing hours as they waited for the paperwork to arrive. He was fully aware that, you know, once the shackles came off and the guards left the room, and it just was so uncomfortable to me to sit in the room as waiting for his daughters to come from yeah. California. I'm sitting in the room with him, um, and there are security guards, and he's shackled 
to the bed. He can't get out of bed. Right. He can't, he has no control of his body. I just, I couldn't believe it. It was just so ridiculous. And then something that was just weird. I'll share this with you. I just thought it was weird. The security guard said to me at one point, and again, we're waiting for the daughters to come so we can get the papers signed and, and get them out. But he couldn't get out. He, he's going to die any yeah. minute. Okay. And I had made arrangements for an air ambulance to fly him home to California because initially he wanted to go home on a train and see the country. Then we thought, no, then he deteriorated. And then they thought, well, they'll put him on an airliner. And I said, you can't put him on an airliner. Right. <laughs> he, can't, he can't get out of bed. You know, so I arranged to have an air ambulance. And this is all the universe, spirit, God opening doors for me. I'm not a rich woman, mm -hmm. but as a pilot, I knew somebody who knew somebody. We we're going to put him on the air ambulance. But now it's just a matter of hours. He's not going anywhere. So we're waiting for the paperwork to be signed. And the security guard said to me, we need you to leave the room. And I left the room, and at this particular hospital that he was in, he was now transferred from Butner Medical Center to just a regular civilian hospital in Raleigh-Durham, because really, basically, he'd been released. We're just waiting for the daughters to come and sign the paperwork. But right. he's still in custody of the BOP. So he's in a normal hospital room, and the door had like a window to it with blinds. So they said to me, we need to be alone with Mr. Reed for a minute if you'll wait outside. So I go, huh, uh, whatever. So I go outside and they put the blinds down and they're in there for like 10 minutes. Okay, what, what's going on here? What's going on? I'm yeah. respectful of the guards. I'm not going to say, hey, what yeah. are you doing? You know, and then they opened the door and I went in and I said, well, well what are you doing? And they said, well, we had to make sure that it's Jack Reed that we're releasing and it's no not somebody else what? using his name. Oh so my. I don't know, were they looking for a branding, a tattoo, were they looking for a mole or something that was Jack Reed? So in other words, what did they do? They looked at a naked body. They're looking for a sign. I just thought that was weird. Yeah. You know, and, and then he really can't talk to me and, and then he's in a coma. And it was just so sad, you know, but he knew he was free, even in a coma. And then he had a do not resuscitate. So we took him off life support. Um, even in a coma, though, he could understand what was going on. And then his daughters came and, and helped take care of him. And I was there. And Once his daughters arrived to sign the paperwork, Jack would be transferred to hospice. While there would be no trip home to California, he would spend his final hours a free man surrounded by loved ones. The incredible life and journey of Jack Carlton Reed would come to an end just three days later. I wanted to quote a passage from Mayke's book because we couldn't have said it better. Freedom was all Jack ever wanted. So the fact that he was able to die a free man with dignity is a blessing beyond words. In addition, after a 15-year strange relationship with their father, Jack's daughters were by his side in his final days and when he drew his last breath having reconciled their differences. While several people had had a hand in Jack being able to spend his final days as a free man, let's be honest, that was only made possible because of the incredible efforts of our own May K. Beeler and the late Ernst Muller agreed. Mr. Mueller did tell me that afterwards. He said, it happened because of you. You know yeah. that, young lady? You made it happen. And I said, well, sir, you made it happen. And look, 
we can't have an ego. I do believe in a higher power and I believe I was the instrument. Would it have happened had I not been there? No. This yeah. was our destiny. This was our fate. Didn't mean other people didn't love him. Other people didn't try. It, it just, this was our destiny. Sure. And you may think, oh, come on, it's your destiny. That sounds yeah. like a whole bunch of BS. No, it, <laughs> it was our destiny. After Jack's passing, May Kay had some unfinished business. The first being the completion of Buccaneer. You can call this spiritual, metaphysical, or supernatural, but May Kay tells us that Jack had continued to assist her both before and after his death. I see him. Do I see an image of him in real life? No, I see him in my mind's eye. So I, and I feel him and he's, he's sent me feathers over the years. He has sent me messages, um, ju just kind of stuff like that. He loves to go to the airport with me. Many times when I drive to the airport in the morning to fly, I'll feel him in the car with me, uh, stuff like that. And, and, and I'll get intuitive messages from him about things. There was some nonsense that was going on with um, some people in his life that decided to come after me after he passed and go against his wishes. And he intuitively gave me the message, I need to protect myself, be careful. And um, before he passed, he drew up a legal contract um, and made it very clear that I was his biographer and that he gave me his art. He had all these art paintings, never asked for them, ever, ever, ever sent me his art, sent me all his manuscripts. He had written other manuscripts, um, and none of them are really publishable. His memoir, mm -hmm. you know, that we did together, Buccaneer, um, it, it turned out to be very good, but I think it, it's because really the ending turned out <laughs> a way that nobody could have guessed. So, um, yeah, so he comes to me with messages at times. I don't feel him a lot lately except doing this podcast, I do feel him. And his message is, you need to live your life. You got a lot going on, girl. <laughs> got a lot going on, you got more to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and when it was time, when we knew he was passing, he said, he said, you're, you're not ready to go, that you've got, because we, we just felt we were supposed to be together. It's just so weird. And you know, if somebody told me this story, I'd think, oh, hogwash, come on. It's corny as hell, it's stupid. As mentioned briefly in a previous episode, it also became vitally important to Mayke that she get the book to Carlos later so he knew not only Jack's story, but the deep loyalty that Jack had for his friend. Her tenacity once again paid off as her connections on Norman's Key helped put her in touch with Carlos's family. Again, this is fate, okay. fate and destiny. Um, he, some of his daughters went to Norman's Key and met a good friend of mine, Stefan, who was working on the island at McDuff's, kind of a manager of it, and met them. And years, and he knew, he knew the story of, um, I, I met Stefan when we were looking for the lost airplane, right? When we went down to Norman's Key for that. And then I went down many times on my own just to kind of vet information and, you know, get in touch with the island or whatever. But eventually he hooked me up with one of the daughters and said, May Kay is an author, she's done this or that with Jack and she would love to get this book to, to your dad. And because of Stefan, it happened. And, and the daughter, I won't mention her name, there are a few daughters, but there's one in particular who's just an angel. She worked so hard to free her father, um, just a beautiful soul beautiful soul and eventually it took time but the book got to him they got the book to him 
And, uh, and then I found out that, you know, he liked the book and he read it and then eventually we were able to correspond. But it's just the way the universe works out. But I had to be patient because when Stefan first told me, yes, yeah, so-and-so, it got the book and it's getting it to her dad because at that point he had been moved to a um, more of a minimal security prison in Florida. And so they lived near him and, and could visit, visits with the family. But it, it took time because initially when I was told, yes, they're gonna get the book to him, it took forever, it feels like, months and months and months. And I was so excited it was gonna happen, but I felt like it never happened. And it was months or year, years, I don't know, it was forever, it was torture. When I was first able to correspond indirectly, okay, indirectly at first, um, I was delighted because all I cared about was that he read Jack's book and know that Jack was loyal to him to the end. That's all I cared about. I wasn't really interested in, in Carlos, the drug lord, um, or, the, or his infamous or um, being notorious. Mm-mm, no, mm-mm, no, not really. I, just that they were so close. And, you know, when you're close to somebody like I was to Jack, and Jack loves somebody or cares deeply for somebody, then you're going to feel that way too, right? You're, you're going to feel that way too about the person, even though you don't know them, you're, you know, and I, it was important to me that he knew. And when I found right. out that he read the book and then and he liked it and approved it and then later on was able to correspond, it just made me so happy. It was fulfillment. It was satisfaction. It was, I'm fulfilled in this. He needed to know he knows. Mission accomplished. I finished the book. We published the book. It won eight awards. Dear God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was just amazing. And and the fact that Carlos knows about it and knew that Jack was loyal, loyal to him, that's really all I cared about. That's right. all I cared about. And then at that point, I wanted to, then I felt the guidance to help him. So I asked his daughter, how can I help him? And I did many things to you know help him. A lot of busy work, a lot of letters to, Oh my God, the ambassador of, um, you know, Columbia of, of different places, um, prosecutors, attorneys. He had certain attorneys that were helping him, wrote to them, what can I do to help? I wrote judges. I mean, I've got them all on my computer. I did a lot over the course of a few years to help him. And I did the best I could. And, um, then the message kind of was, you've done enough. There's nothing more you can do. And the family had it. You know, the family did what they needed to do. One daughter in particular right. just um, never gave up, you know. It, it's so important to have family that cares for you and to do what they can because so many people are forgotten. Now at seven, notorious Colombian drug lord Carlos Lader, one of the original cocaine cowboys, and Pablo Escobar's crime partner has been released after a long prison sentence in the U.S. and deported to Germany. 
later left on a flight for his new home in Berlin yesterday. His attorney says he had been held as part of the government's witness protection program. The 70-year-old was one of the leaders of the Medellin cartel that dominated the global cocaine trade in the 1980s. You know that somewhere the spirit of Jack Carlton Reed was grinning from ear to ear on the day that his amigo, Carlos, was freed. He now lives overseas with his family. Mayke's book, Buccaneer, the provocative odyssey of Jack Reed won numerous awards. She still corresponds with Carlos Slater to this day.